This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bitesize Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Good morning, everyone out there. This is Kristen Haberther welcoming you to the Bite Size Bio web seminar. Today's presentation is titled Long Adapter Single-Stranded Oligonucleotide or Lasso Probes for Massively Multiplexed Cloning of Pillabase Sized Genome Regions. And it's being presented by Dr. Lorenzo Tosi uh, from Harvard Medical School. Uh, Lorenzo obtained his PhD in microbiology at Piencia University in, oh, sorry, that's wrong. Piancienza uh, University. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, in Italy, where he worked on the characterization of antibiotic resistant Streptococcus thermophilus, which is an important species used in the production of fermented milk and in cheese production. After completing his PhD, Lorenzo began working as a research scientist at Molecular Stamping SRL, an Italian startup company spun out of MIT. There, under the supervision of Dr. Ben Larman, Lorenzo set up an innovative molecular printing technology to copy DNA microarrays via a process of in situ strand replication, followed by new strand transfer via stamping to a new surface named supramolecular nanostamping. In 2013, Lorenzo decided to move back to academia and joined the lab of Dr. Bijou Parakadan at University Medical School, at Harvard Medical School, my apologies, where he is currently working on reengineering molecular inversion probes or MIP technology to enable the targeted cloning of full open reading frames or ORBs from genomic DNA. And since then, he has actually just finished his postdoctoral fellowship and is going to be starting a research scientist position back with Ben Larman. So as always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I will put them to Lorenzo at the end for answering. The recording of the webinar is going to be available at the bitesizebio.com website under webinars uh, and under the same name that you see here, the title of the talk. So, over to you, Lorenzo. Thanks for uh, the great uh, introduction. So, it is uh, with great honor to be here to share with you some uh, of our uh, recent work. So, my presentation uh, is divided in two parts. In the first part, I will briefly compare DNA sequencing versus DNA synthesis. Then I will talk about the accumulation of genomic data as source of inspiration for new discoveries. And I will highlight the technological gap existing between our ability to read the DNA and to write it. In the second part, I will introduce you our research work that involved the development of a novel technology called the lasso capture probes for massive parallel gene capture and cloning that is aimed to fill the gap between our ability to read and our ability to write the DNA. Finally, I will talk about possible application of lasso technology. Let's start with the first part. As you can see in the table, in the last 10 years, the cost of DNA sequencing 
drop down several order of magnitude because nest of next generation sequencing. While the cost of DNA synthesis, uh, synthesis didn't follow the same path, we are now much better in reading DNA than not in synthesizing it. For example, by synthesizing uh, or cloning a new DNA sequence. Consequently, a bottleneck has formed between our knowledge of DNA sequence and our understanding of DNA functional significance. In this chart, you can see that there has been an exponential increase of genome sequence, especially from microorganisms isolated from, from different microbiota in specific uh, niches, like the human microbiome, ocean soils. So this is the tree of life. Here on the bottom, you can see the eukaryotes. Here on the top part, you cannot notice the incredible diversity of bacteria that is the results of billions of years of evolution, the most different environments. Their metabolic capabilities represent an enormous source of inspiration for novel breakthrough in bioengineering, drug discovery, and biotechnology. Today, there is the possibility of testing thousands of DNA sequences for individual biological functions in a single pool experiment. So the speed of this new discovery must relay in our ability to synthesize or clone large number large number of libraries for massive parallel functional screenings. So in this, uh, in this chart, you can see that the DNA length available by different uh, technology and cost per base pair. The cheapest oligos, are the, the cheapest uh, DNA sequence that you can find in the market are the oligo pool that are uh, produced by using DNA microarrays. The problem is that they are very short. On the opposite side of the, uh, of, of the graph, you can see the commercially cloned synthetic genes and the um, cloned clone genes that obviously are, very, are, are long, are uh, uh, full-length genes, but they are very costly and expensive. So there is clearly an unmet need for an Orpheum library at low cost. So in this second part of my presentation, I will introduce you to our research work that involves the development of uh, this new technology that is called Lasso Capture Probe for massively parallel gene capture. So in this slide, I'm presenting uh, the subject of our work, that are the long adapter single-stranded oligonucleotides. So lasso probes are the DNA equivalent of an antibody, we can say. So the probe is a single-strand uh, DNA filament that is composed by, two, uh, by three parts. So the ligation arm, the extension arm, that are complementary to a DNA target, that is the template, and the long adapter sequence that is in between these two variable regions, these two arms. So with the appropriate enzymes in solution, a DNA target can be replicated and captured in a DNA loop. 
So this kind of uh, reaction setup can occur for thousands of targets at the same time in the same reaction tubes. And this kind of capture is not new because probably a lot of you know that the molecular inversion probes use the same mechanism. Molecular inversion probes or MIPS are short single-stranded DNA molecule, 150 base pair in length usually, which become circularized by gap filling after annealing to the target sequence that flank a desired DNA fragment. But now let's have a closer look at the, how, how, what is the MIP DNA capture mechanism with the next slide. So basically, once the MIP is in solution, it hybridizes with the target sequence. Polymerase and DNA ligase close the gap. And the DNA target is captured in red. Non-circularized DNA is digested. And then we can make a PCR with common primer to amplify the targets. The problem of MIP is that they are inefficient at capturing DNA sequence greater than 200 base pair due to the persistent length of double-stranded DNA. This constraint has prevented the use for the capture of large DNA fragment and for the cloning of open reading frame that encode full-length protein or large proteins domain. Here on the top, you can see the hypothesized mechanism that is behind the failure of MIP DNA target capture. The double-strand DNA that is formed during the copy of the target is locally stiff. We can imagine it like a rubber tube. In physiological condition, the persistence length of the DNA is around 150 base per. The persistent length is a measure of the structural rigidity of the polymer chain. We have to know that the DNA is among the stiffest known polymer because the opposite negative charge of the phosphodiester bonds. With the lasso probe, we wanted to avoid the problem of the unzipping of the ligation arm by the persistent length of the double-stranded DNA. In fact, in the past, it was shown that larger MIP were able to capture target up to 500 base pair. However, the method used to construct those probes required a separate PCR reaction for each individual probe, thus severely limited the scalability of those approaches. So in the next slide, this is the schematic you can follow you can follow the schematic we use to, as, to assemble the lasso probes. And this was basically the core of our research work. So the important thing to notice is that the lasso probe is generated by assembling together two parts, the pre-lasso probe with the long adapter sequence. So there is a series of enzymatic reaction aimed to fuse together the pre-lasso probe with the long adapter. Through a circular intermediate and inverted PCR reaction, the ligation is attached on one side and the ligation arms is attached on the other side. Since the ligation and the extension arms are always 
together during the reaction. So basically, this reaction can be ugly multiplexed, the same reaction tube, thus allowing for the simultaneous synthesis of thousands of probes in parallel with minimal costs. So here we assess the ability of single lasso probes in capturing different DNA targets of different lengths. Located within the single strand DNA genome of the M13 bacteriophage. As you can see in B, we were able to capture DNA targets up to four kilobase insights that is basically one order of magnitude more than the maximum DNA sites ever captured using a molecular inversion probe. In figure C, to mimic target capture within a complex background of unrelated DNA, we assess the influence of DNA target strandness and background matrix complexity. The same concentration of lasso probes was applied to M13 single-stranded DNA. The corresponding M13 double-stranded DNA produced by PCR and M13 double-stranded DNA in the presence or, of, or, or absence of shared E. coli or genomic DNA. As you can see, target capture was less efficient compared to single-stranded DNA target capture for double-stranded. However, the efficiency was recovered when the double-strand DNA template was first melted within a complex background of shared genomic DNA. This finding was consistent with double-strand target rehabilitation, which is expected to compete with lasso probe annealing. So finally, in, the, in, in figure D, a dilution uh, series of lasso probe was performed to test the sensitivity of the reaction. So we could uh, detect captured product even at the lowest dilution of lasso probe test, that was 500 femtomolar. Importantly, of target product were not detected in the presence of a genomic DNA background. We next assessed the fidelity of lasso probe-based cloning using the canamycin-resistant gene CARN-R2 that was 800 base pair in length as model target. The canamycin-resistant gene was captured successfully uh, from total genomic DNA and from purified plasmidic DNA and cloned via Gibson assembly into PET21 vector. Dual selection for ampicillin resistance that was present in the plasmid backbone and for canamycin resistance demonstrate that the 94% of captured canamycin resistance gene were functionally expressed. Then a comparison study was performed between Lassoprobe and MIP for the performance in the massive multiplex cloning of a library of kilobase sites ORF from E. coli genomic DNA. E. coli K12 has a genome that contains approximately 4,000 annotated ORFs, ranging from 200 base pair to almost 5 kilobase in size. Two different uh, conserved linker 
to conserve a long adapter lasso probes were evaluated and compared to conventional MIPS probes. MIP and lasso, as you can see here, had identical uh, ligation and extension arms. So approximately 20% of the E. coli or film was left untargeted, and thus served as an internal negative control for our experiment. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. So the workflow of the Orpheum capture is shown here on the bottom. Basically, a genomic uh, database was used to guide the design of the probe library, which was synthesized as pre-lasso probes and pre-MIP DNA oligonucleotide on programmable DNA microarray. The pre-probe pool was converted into mature lasso probe pool in pooled format, as I show you the slide before. The, li the library of the probe were hybridized on target DNA from E. coli K12. Closed DNA circle containing captured ORF were selected by exonuclease digestion and then PCR amplified using a universal primer. Finally, the amplicons were fragmented and sequenced using NESSEC instruments. So after next generation sequencing, we measured the enrichment ratio of target versus non-targeted region for lasso probes and MIPS, expressed as reads per kilo base of genetic element per million of reads, RPKM. Lasso target ORF were enriched for all beings, while standard MIPS exhibited little or no target enrichment. Then we perform recombination-based cloning on the post-capture PCR product to move the captured ORF library into P-donor 221 entry vector. And we quantify the unique ORF clone and sequence from MIP and LASSO by capture transformations. Out of 20,000 colonies, 600 different uh, ORF were observed, while with MIP, only few ORF were detected. In the graph on the bottom are the position of captured reads mapped across the length of normalized targeted ORF for LASSO and for MIP. LASSO capture sequence were uniformly distributed uh, uh, across the full length of the targeted ORF. In contrast, MIP reads were depleted in the central part of the ORF, strongly enriched at the end of the ORF. This suggests that MIPs were able to anneal to the ligation or extension arm side, but in most cases failed to extend the end of the ORFs. This was in agreement with our proposed model for MIP failed capture. So since traditional MIP capture showed severe limitations in terms of enrichment, capture of full-length ORF, and impossibility of cloning, captured ORF, 
We choose to go further only in the characterization of the capture performed with lasso probe. So figure A show the apparent size distribution of the capture amplicon uh, from lasso capture. And as you can see, the amplicons correspond, it's very similar, uh, to the expected size distribution of the targets. In figure B, it shows the distribution of read counts per kilo base for each target ORF, each untarget, and each intergenic region. Target ORF were significantly enriched compared to non-target ORF and intragenic regions. Figure C shows receiver operating characteristic analysis that provide an excellent positive predicted value, so that is the area under the curve that was 0.959, for lasso target X function of normalized read depth. Figure D shows, in terms of ab absolute sequence coverage, the majority of target ORF were uh, sequence, the, 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 for the majority of the target ORF, the sequence were fully covered by map read. For non-target intragenic region, no one basically of this sequence were covered. So in figure E, we observe a negative correlation between the normalized abundance of each target ORF and its length. ORF representation was observed to decline by 60% with each doubling of the length of the ORF. In figure F, we use a greater than 2 kilo base target probe subpool from the original Prelasso library. We observe, as much, in this case, we observe a much more homogeneous distribution of ORF abundance, ex expect, because in this case, we didn't have uh, the shorter ORF that compete in the for, for uh, PCR product in the final uh, amplification step. Finally, uh, we, uh, we also test uh, the integrity of several ORF by Sanger sequencing. And in figure uh, G, you can see an abridged sequence of a start and stop region of a representative cloning ORF. We evaluate uh, the utility of lasso cloning in cloning human ORF from cDNA. The tumor suppressor protein P53 and the ribosomal lateral stalk subumit RPLP0 were uh, successfully captured and confirmed, and sequence identity was confirmed by Sanger sequencing. Finally, uh, we apply uh, the E. coli lasso probes library, the one that uh, I show you that was designed for uh, the capture of uh, the Orpheum of E. coli K12, to DNA extract from, hum uh, from a human stool sample. So given the extreme complexity of this DNA sample, which likely include hundreds of bacteria species and host genomic DNA, one might expect increase of off-target of capture.
To control for this, we perform in parallel a capture of the same from the same microbiome sample using but using the MIPROBE instead. The capture amplicon obtained by the lasso probes show, as you can see here, show successful capture since there are multiple bands at the, at the expected sites. While with MIP show just uh, unsuccessful capture, this is a smear. So the, uh, then the amplicon uh, was uh, was uh, was cloned, and uh, as you as you as you can see, uh, we we obtain hundreds of colonies uh, for MI using MIP while using. Uh, Using lasso probes, we obtain more than 20,000 uh, uh, colonies. Quantification of the colonies, next generation sequencing analysis of the pedonal plasmid from E. coli colonies recovered from agar prate, revealed that more than 1,000 ORF from E. coli K12 were successfully captured with various degree of coverage. While with MIP, we were able to only detect very few ORF. So that's more or less all our research work up to date. This is the roadmap we want to follow to implement uh, our technology. So uh, we want for sure to optimize the uniformity of the cap and the capture efficiency. And we want to increase even further the length of the capture target. Then uh, we are working developing new biological application of lassoprops. And we are constructing a large, uh, large library of bacterial uh, proteins of bacterial uh, open reading frame, also insect read, uh, open reading frame that we will test in a massively parallel uh, functional test. And we also are, uh, are making some progress in, uh, in constructing library for a longer read uh, sequence. So I really thanks my two PIs and supervisor for all this work that are Professor Bijou Parekadan uh, and uh, from uh, Harvard Medical School and Professor uh, Harry Benjamin Larman uh, from John Hopkins Hospital. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Lorenzo. That was a really, really interesting presentation. Um, so we have a few questions from the audience, in particular, there's one one attendee who's very interested in what you're doing. Um, and if anybody else has any questions as we go along, please feel free to post in the questions box that is on the right side of your screen. So, Lorenzo, the first question, um, it's several parts, but the first question is, what should the length of the adapter and both arms be? Sure. Uh, so we test different lengths of adapters. And um, basically, uh, we test uh, an adapter of 240 base pair and 480 base pair, more or less, roughly. 
And both of them perform uh, more or less the same way. We also test a much longer adapter that was 1 kb, and we noticed that the capture efficiency was worse. Mm. So now we are working with the long adapter of uh, 250 or 480 base pair that perform well, more or less the same way. And this is a question of my own. Why do you think that the longer adapter performs so much more poorly? Probably because the length, being a very long sequence, it can interact with uh, the DNA that is in solution and mm. probably slow down the, the kinetic of the reaction. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, and I think once the, uh, we go like two, two or three times over the persistence length of the DNA, that as I show you, the solution is supposed to be 100, 150 base pair, we are fine. Mm. Okay. Um, does the length of the adapter depend upon the length of the ORF is the continuing part of this question. Um, and then just so that you have it, the last bit is, is the sequence of adapter identical? Sorry, I didn't get so, exactly okay. the question. So, the, so this is um, the one attendees. It's a three-part question. So you, you just answered the first. And then the second oh. is, does the length of adapter depend upon the length of ORF? No, no, no. It is uh, it's independent. We, with, with the same length of adapter, we can capture uh, from 200 base pair up to 4 kb. Okay. Uh, yeah, because then you have to think that the DNA falls in solution. So the, the main problem is when uh, the polymerase starts to make the copy of the target. So the first, first, the first hundreds, 150 base are very rigid. So it's a straight arm of DNA that eventually unzips the ligation arms. And then uh, it's less important. I think uh, it will be almost independent from the length. Gotcha. Um, and, and then the last is, is the sequence of adapter identical? The sequence of the adapter is identical for all the probes, yes, obviously. The variable parts are only for the pre-lasso probes. That are the part that we make using releasable DNA microarrays. Then uh, the other, the, the, the long adapter is just a chunk of DNA that uh, we obtain by PCR. Gotcha. Obviously, you need to be careful that this piece of DNA doesn't contain some strange motif that bind uh, each other, that forms some RP structure or some strange configuration. But okay. we double check for it. Um, okay, so continuing on, um, the question of wondering how if the size of the ORF that you are investigating happens to be more than 1 kb, how is it possible that an adapter of 400 base pairs can combine, can, basically can uh, adapt to that? Yeah, because obviously you have to think that uh, the DNA uh, is rigid for uh, the short distance, for uh, 150 base pair, but then it can bend and flapping around, so it's <laughs> yeah. not, uh, not, too not far a problem. Off. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, what is the specificity of this method of cloning? So the specificity of the capture is very close to the PCR specificity. So we were able to get uh, 
a target sequence that was extremely diluted inside a background DNA sample, where was hundreds of thousands of times more diluted than the background. And uh, when the sequence was not there, we couldn't see any kind of signal. So it's, I think we are close to the PCR sensitivity, specificity. Okay, and on that note, compared to multiplex PCR, which one do you think has more efficiency? Compared to multiplex PCR? I'm biased, of course. <laughs> so this is, this is a good question because obviously for multiplex PCR, you have much less targets. Right. So at the state of the arts, I bet that maybe a multiplex PCR is more sensitive, but this just because uh, maybe, you know, increasing the volume of the capture in order to have uh, more reagents to be consumed, the PCR reaction, we can, you know, even increase the sensitivity we, we have. Obviously, it depends how many targets we want to capture in a single reaction and uh, the same way the, the multiplex PCR. I see. All right. Um, and then there's one last question, but I'm, I assume that this is in your nature communications um, paper or you have this yeah um, about they are they're curious about your elaborating on your methodology how specifically how did in nature does this happen in the thermocycler that kind of thing um, which yeah, you're more yeah. than welcome to explain here but yeah basically uh, at the end uh, the most tricky part for now is to prepare the last probes because it involves several uh, enzymatic reactions right. in order to, to fuse them and to make it single-stranded. Gotcha. But uh, once the stock of the probes is done, that is enough to make thousand or even million of capture experiment. And the capture is performed in a PCR machine, more or less like some easy thermal cycle. Basically, it works like that. There is a denaturation step in which uh, the probes and the DNA template are together, so everything is the nature. Then the temperature is lower down uh, to 60, that is the optimal temperature for the gap filling. And then uh, there is a, uh, the step where the, the template is digested is at 37 degrees. We, we, uh, we lower the temperature to 37, we add the exonucleases. And basically that's it. Then we denature the exonucleases and we got the circles that contain the target. After this step, we go into a normal uh, PCR amplification. That's really, really interesting. And then um, just to go back, the when you're saying that the longest part is developing the probes, that's through a simple Gibson assembly, correct? Is that what, what I remember from your presentation? Uh, excuse me, uh, there was uh, oh. some Developing your, you were just talking about how the longest part was um, developing the actual probes. And once you develop the probes, they go into the thermocycler. Um, yeah. But the development of your probes happens via Gibson assembly. Is that what I remember from your talk? Or no? So is the, the preparation of the probes? Yes. If is it, uh, if is it difficult to, to, to make? Oh, there is a, a slide of yours where you were going into Gibson assembly, and so I was. Ah, uh, ah Gibson assembly. Uh, ah, this is uh, when uh, when we move, because um, what we do when uh, once we capture the target, and we want to clone them, 
we develop a Gibson assembly method to transfer uh, the amplicon into expression vectors. Oh, I see. I see. Thank you for that. As a pool, so we don't need to separate anything. So it's just a pool of amplicon that via Gibson assembly are transferred to any expression vectors. Wow. So that's the, the beauty of the method that you can create different kind of expression libraries starting from your amplicon. Well, that is pretty cool. Um, looks like we're done with our questions. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the audience, Lorenzo? Anything else to Anything special add? if you are oh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> very interesting, uh, interesting topic. Um, so thank you for, for sharing it with us. I really appreciate it. And Lorenzo does have a, um, a paper by the same name of his talk here. So if you're curious about any more in-depth methodologies, um, please go, go visit. Yeah. Yeah. If you are interested in developing, if there is any professor listening, uh, I'm now waiting uh, for uh, a postdoc and we depend on the, act on, on the success of uh, R01 grant. But uh, anyhow, I'm looking for a new employment, and if anybody is interested in developing this in, in the lab, I'm maybe available. That's okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you again, Lorenzo. Uh, it was really, really interesting talk. And uh, finally, thanks to the audience for taking the time to attend and to listen in, and for all of your great questions. And if you like, if you've enjoyed the seminar <clears throat> and you would like to view the video recording of the session. You can go ahead and view the seminars page at Bite Size Bio. It's under webinars, and it will be, again, under the same name of this talk here. So there you can also actually uh, view other webinars that we've lined up for you in Bite Size Bio's webinar festival of sorts. And until next time, good luck in your research, and goodbye from all of us here at Bite Size Bio. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.